Um, if you have a Bible, you might like to be turning to uh, Mark's Gospel in the New Testament, and we're going to be reading from uh, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry too much, because the scripture references, I think, will come up on the screen, so you can read them there. But if you want to turn to the Bible, then uh, Mark chapter 7, we're going to focus today um, on the passage which might be entitled in your Bible, The Faith of a Syrophoenician Woman, which starts in verse 24. Uh, Since it's a while since we've been in Mark's Gospel, we're going to do a bit of a recap by reading from verse 14. So Mark chapter 7, verse 14, let's read from there. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he'd left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside uh, can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all food's clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So like I say, we're going to focus on the the faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, We're going to have a bit of a recap, but first we're going to pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've revealed yourself through words that are true, through words that are trustworthy and reliable Your word is the bedrock that we want to dig down and build our lives upon. Lord, it's faith in your good word in which we have hope. And Father God, I pray we are dependent every time we look at the scripture on your help by the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate our minds. And I pray, Lord God, this morning you would illuminate your word and your truth in a way that we can get hold of and apply into our lives that's going to... um, bring us more and more into the to the benefits of being your people amen amen now we have seen the last time we were here in in mark and well all the way through mark's gospel we've seen from time to time this big clash taking place we've seen the good news being declared in jesus and we've seen him teaching we've seen him healing the sick we've seen him casting out demons we've seen him 
uh, praying and relating with God, and we've seen people utterly amazed, kind of gobsmacked, if you like, at what he's like and what he's saying, because it's such a stark contrast to what they've seen before from the teachers of the law. Uh, and the Pharisees, and there seems to be a, a, a cycle or a, a kind of process, a loop that happens where Jesus spends time with his father. Uh, sometimes Jesus spends time with just his disciples. He wants to get away, he wants to be in secret. He wants to be with God and his closest uh, followers. Uh, but people find him, or he comes across someone in need, and because he's so full of compassion, he responds to that person's need. Uh, then what happens is other people start finding out, and they start gathering, and so the house is full, or the community is in kind of happy uproar, and loads of people are reaching out to touch him. And again, he, he, he responds, and he teaches, and he heals, and he blesses, and then the Pharisees turn up. This, this great kind of popular uprising, this crowd that has gathered, prompts the teachers of the law to come along. And they've already made up their minds, but they come along um, with a critical, negative attitude. And so we see this clash taking place. That's what we saw last time. The Pharisees came to Jesus, essentially with an accusation. They might have dressed it up as a, a genuine question, but really they were accusing him. Your disciples don't wash your hands properly. Uh, hence, Jesus goes to speak on... What it really, you know, about kind of being clean and unclean. The issue was to do with food. Uh, now, we were seeing this contrast between the, the, the old way and the new way. And by way of recap, just want to remind you that what we've seen from the old way, the way of the Pharisees, the ways of the, the teachers of the law, we've seen a way of tr- attempting to relate to God, but it's, it's heavy, it's religious, it's very much about keeping in line with tradition. And therefore, there's a focus on appearances. So we reflected on when, 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 if we're living in a religious mindset, then our focus is what we look like on the outside. It doesn't really matter what's going on the inside. It's just about looking the part, looking right, looking holy. The focus is kind of on, on negative as well, uh, criticisms. It, it results in kind of being picky and, um, and critical and there's also a focus on, on rules. This new way of Jesus, this good news which is fresh and brings life, is a way of the Spirit, and the focus is on the heart. And what the old way does, it squashes joy. It's, it just doesn't even let it grow. It does it in a variety of ways. It will start by saying, we're not that bad. So that's what the debate was. At the heart of the issue... The Pharisees were preoccupied with whether they were clean on the outside or not. It suggests that the problem is always something or someone else. If if I touch something unclean, then I get unclean. If if someone unclean brushes past me, then then I'll become unclean. But but basically, I'm clean. If if I manage to kind of avoid all contamination, I'll be fine. I'll I'll be clean. That's how the Pharisees... Uh, would have stay, uh, would have viewed themselves, and they would have seen that their challenge was to stay clean. And so, for the for the Pharisee, for the teacher of the law, for the religious, the problem is out there. The problem is something else. The problem is someone else, and I've got to make sure I'm keeping myself right. It, it leads to pride, which squashes joy. It also squashes joy by saying. 
well, you'll, you'll never really change. It's just a case of managing life. It's just a case of getting through, obeying the rules, keeping up appearances, wearing a mask, putting on a front if you have to. It's just about what's on the outside. The new, the new way that Jesus is bringing um, sees joy explode and grow in vibrancy. He's declared in verse 18 when he says to his disciples, Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's good news. It's good news, folks. We don't have to be fussy eaters. Pork is on the menu. Prawns, if you're so inclined, are on the menu. The, 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 the fussy, pedantic way of picking at rules and codes of conduct to try and maintain uh, an outward form of purity um, are gone. But it's much bigger than that. This is not just looking at food. And this new way in Jesus grows our joy, increases our joy, gives us a greater slice of the cake because actually to begin with we see that we are saved from a bigger problem for the pharisee the problem's just out there it's other people it's someone else hopefully i'll be i won't get contaminated um the, the new way in jesus helps us to see there's a bigger problem it's not out there unclean food it's in here it's in my heart and sometimes the phrase well god knows my heart is we could use that in a glib way to mean it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. It doesn't really matter where I go. It doesn't really matter uh, what I do. It doesn't really matter my eyes. It doesn't really matter what I do with my eyes, what I look at. It doesn't really matter what I do uh, with my mind, what I'm thinking about, what preoccupies me, which obviously no one else is going to see. And it doesn't really matter about what is coming out of my mouth. That's absolutely fine because God knows what's in my heart. God knows what's... Well, it's kind of a bit of a nonsense, isn't it? I think when Jesus uh, wrote a letter um, to one of the churches in the book of Revelation and, uh, and said, I think it's to the church in Thyatira, Revelation 2.23, I am he who searches hearts and minds. Nothing is hidden. It's actually terrifying. But this grows our joy. How does it grow our joy? Well, it, it reveals there's a bigger problem, but it also brings us a bigger, bigger blessing. Paul was the best Pharisee uh, there ever was. And he tells his story uh, in a variety of places. One place we could look at is in, uh, is in Philippians. And he's explaining why he had confidence. By the old way, he could claim a certain amount of confidence. Um... um Though he says in verse 4, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But not much joy. He was an angry man. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy describes himself as blaspheming, violence. So he wouldn't have thought, yes, I'm persecuting the church, that's a good thing. I'm picking them up on all the things that's wrong. 
but it was revealing his own heart. He goes on to say, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's what he came into and he became an incredibly joyful man. He saw the problem went deeper and he saw God's solution was bigger. Uh, I was very blessed just to read recently testimony from a, a lady called Nadia, a 43-year-old Iranian widowed mother of three. And uh, this was her, uh, just a brief uh, story that she, she gave down, read in a magazine recently. Um, from my childhood, I've been very curious about Jesus. I felt there was an empty place inside of me. I learned that one of my cousins had become a Christian. I asked him for a New Testament and I read it. Inside, I was in a revolution. What a wonderful way of explaining what was going on for her as she was reading the New Testament. So I prayed, God, show me what is really true. As I read it, I felt my heart open like an old door. And from that time on, Jesus' work started inside me. It was a strange happiness like nothing I'd ever known. Um, I think God's doing a profound work around the world. And sometimes we are aware of the trouble spots and the bad news. But behind the bad news, God's doing a profound work. He's doing a profound work uh, in an Iranian woman, uh, widowed mother of three, encountering, uh, encountering Jesus. And what she describes as, I was in revolution on the inside. On the inside, it was like the door of my heart was opening and a strange happiness She'd never, uh, I take that to mean that there was a kind of happiness that she had not encountered before, um, whatever her previous uh, pattern of life or way of life was. Okay, but then, that's all good. There's our kind of recap. Um, but how then does Jesus interact with another woman? Maybe or maybe not, she was 43. Um, maybe or maybe not, she was a widow. Certainly there's no mention of her husband. Um, which could mean uh, that he'd passed away. Um, so we've seen this, this good news, and we can, we can think, okay, here's a woman approaching Jesus. How, how would the Pharisee respond? And then we'll see, well, how does Jesus respond? You see, with the old way, this woman represents a big problem. Any self-respecting Pharisee, teacher of the law, would steer well clear of her because, first of all, she's Greek. She's from an area of Phoenicia that was in Syria, up the coast, a bit further north and uh, uh, towards the coast from, from Galilee. She would be regarded as, as unclean. She was a Canaanite woman. She was a traditional enemy of God's people. She and her people would have uh, worshipped different gods, perhaps uh, Baal, or um, maybe there would be Asherah poles that she would have uh, gone to. Uh, so she is unclean in that respect because she's Greek. A Pharisee wouldn't have gone, uh, would have steered clear because also she was a woman. Also, we find out that the problem that she was saying she has, she, she comes to Jesus and says, look, my, my daughter is possessed, not very helpful translation, is, is influenced by 
um, an evil spirit or an unclean spirit. And what we see here is, first of all, the good news is that Jesus has gone in her direction. How does Jesus respond? Well, he's there. He's gone to the vicinity of Tyre. A A Pharisee wouldn't have done that. A Pharisee wouldn't have gone there. Jesus is saying, look, this is not just about food. Yes, you can eat prawns and pork. Um, Practically, food was a massive reason why Jewish people would have nothing to do with anybody else. Jesus is saying, that that doesn't apply now. There's no food that's unclean. Therefore, um, we can be... We can, go clo- we can go close, we can spend time, we can go to Tyre. Um, there's, this place isn't unclean, but for a Pharisee, it was an unclean place, an unclean person, and an unclean problem. So what religion does is ring lots of alarm bells. Religion excludes people. This old way of the law is, has a very narrow focus. It's what we'd say is Exclusive. The Pharisee may even think that this woman should not exist. Because if you were to read um, Joshua, chapter 19, 20, you would see that this land was allotted to the tribe of Asher. So when Joshua led the people in, they won lots of battles, they overcame, there was a lot of bloodshed, they And God led them in and said, this is your land. So in a sense, God had said to the tribe of Asher, this land is yours. You go take it. You go occupy it. You go overcome the Canaanites who live there, provoking me, worshipping other gods. And they never managed to take possession of it. So the Canaanite population stayed there. So a good, zealous Pharisee would be thinking they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't exist and that's the, that's the mindset that religion brings us to. It brings us to a point of, well, is it, for that person, for that place, for that problem, there isn't actually any good news. Because we've just kind of got a narrow focus on maybe the people that we're trying to reach. And maybe through, through positive things that we positively value that are important, like marriage, we could say, well, we, we really value marriage. So we're going to focus on, on marriage and we're going to focus on, on families and so we don't know what to do with single people. So the solution for you is to get married because that's, then we know how to handle you and we know how to disciple you and we know how to encourage you. But in the meantime, we're just going to have a slightly narrow focus. Um, it can happen in other ways um, where there might be a, a reflex to condemn and kind of just have squash love and say well there's nothing that really can be done the way of Jesus brings something different so I was reading very recently uh, a book that I'd highly recommend by a guy called Ed Shaw uh, called The Plausibility Problem Ed Shaw is a guy who uh, is one of the leaders of a church in Bristol and he experiences what he describes as same sex attraction and has done consistently in his adult life um, and he's written this book, and I, I would heartily recommend it to you. He's, it's his way of, of, of saying, I am committed to God. I'm committed to God's word, and I'm committed to a holy lifestyle, and therefore I'll not pursue uh, any romantic relationship uh, because of the, the way I am wired. Um, and he's writing to the church, saying, you too love God, you're committed to God, 
And he says, look, here are, here are perhaps ways in which maybe the church has got a bit narrow in its focus. Here are ways in which you can help me and others who experience the same have a plausible celibate life by being part of a community. Um, to kind of broaden out a vision of what church should be. Religion says, well, I've got some proof text for you. You're wrong. Your wiring is wrong. So sort that out, change that, and then you can be a part. Um, he's saying it's got to be a little bit different. Uh, there's got to be a new way. So I would, I, would, I would encourage you reading that book, just in seeing that man's discipleship, taking his discipleship seriously, and saying, actually, I, I battle temptation. And there are days, he says, I, I, uh, there are days where I, I have my kitchen floor moments because that's where I'm sat. And it's really, really hard. But here are the ways in which God strengthens me in his word, strengthens me by being part of a community, and I'm living for him. I just think it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful book with some thought-provoking stuff to think through. Anyway, that's how the old way would respond to this Syrophoenician woman, possibly going to the extreme of saying, you shouldn't exist, we don't know how to handle you, we've got nothing for you. So how is Jesus going to respond then? He has travelled to her patch. She is a desperate woman. So see this, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She's utterly desperate. She's coming to him. She's probably tried other solutions. Maybe she's, thought, she's sought other gods to try and help her. But now she's heard about Jesus. She's heard about what he's like and what he can do. And so she comes uh, to him. What's going to happen next? What are we to make of what happens next? A conversation which looks and sounds very awkward verging on the offensive if it isn't actually properly offensive where Jesus can appear reluctant is Jesus just reproducing the old religious expectations narrow unloving bit proud squashing joy squashing faith what's going on maybe he's not so different after all in the time that remains we're going to look at the dialogue and see what we can uh, take from it Jesus eventually responds to her please by saying first let the children eat all they want he told her for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs it is ill-advised to refer to anybody or any group of people as dogs that's true now it was true then um Jewish people did not domesticate dogs. They didn't have dogs. They didn't really do dogs. Dogs were just ever so slightly above pigs. And they didn't do pigs either. This, this is a hard phrase. This is not a compliment. However, this is a point where it can be helpful to look a little bit deeper to find out that the word there, dogs, 
is not the word that might be used of a wild 60 pound stray monster. Turn with me briefly because I think this detail will help us um, to Matthew uh, 7 and verse 6. Where Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. There you have it again. Dogs and pigs, pretty much the same. Um, if you do, they may, trample them, uh, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. The word there that is used of dog is the wild, scavenging, bloodthirsty monster that could, as the context would bear out, tear you to pieces. The word here that is used for dog is actually a concept that was a bit foreign to uh, Jewish people. Um, It was the word for a domesticated dog, a little dog, a puppy, a house dog, maybe not quite a lap dog. I think that would perhaps be going a bit too far for the culture of its day. But this is an animal that lives in the house of a Greek or more likely Roman family. Just log that for a moment and then let's see what this woman says and what she is like. I want you to see, first of all, this lady is humble. She says, yes, Lord. She agrees. She accepts the insult. She accepts the position that Jesus is putting her and the whole Gentile world. She's accepting that she's not the first in line. She is accepting what Jesus has said. At this present time, I'm focusing on Israel. Right now, I'm feeding the children. Right now, they're getting the blessing. She's accepted that humbly, but see how she comes persistently. She sees that Jesus is not dismissing her He's not dismissing her need and he's not dismissing her people forever. This is like when a parent says in response to a persistent begging question, not now, not yet. This isn't the right time, but there will come a time. Sweeties on Saturday and it's Thursday. Okay. Now that could be satisfying. That, That could be, okay, That's put me at ease. A time is coming. That's reassured me. I can take a step back. Thank you, Jesus. You need say no more. Mum's a word. Saturday. Um, But let's remember, she's she's desperate. And sometimes even in that phrase that we might use, not yet. The persistent child realises, ah, there is a chink here. I might just persevere and see if I get Friday. Or I might just persevere and see if I get Thursday afternoon. Uh, They're not saying no completely. They're just saying, not now. Now? Now? Can I? What about now? This is a a persistent lady because she's so desperate. She She wasn't just going to meekly accept, politely, a nicely theologically balanced argument. The age of the Gentiles, that's... That's another time. Maybe that won't even be for me or my daughter. Maybe that's for a future generation. But thank you, Lord. In the future, another generation will experience some 
getting the bread. She could have stopped there, but she was persistent. This is good news, but she wants help now. So she's humble, she's persistent, and in faith, she's quick-witted. She sees that Jesus' illustration, the children and the bread and the table and the dogs, she sees that she's got a way through. The way through is this. That little dog is in the house. That little dog is part of the household. And if Jesus is master to the children, then Jesus is the master of the little dog. And if the children are eating bread, now they didn't have napkins to wipe their hands on or kitchen roll or wet wipes, uh, they would use hunks of bread. So they'd be eating food with their hands and grab some bread and actually it would be bits of bread that they would use to wipe their hands clean and the bread would be on the floor. So she spies, she sees, she glimpses, I have an opportunity here. He's actually letting the way open for me to come and make my request again. Yes, Lord, she replied humbly and persistently and cheekily. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't have to, Jesus doesn't have to change his whole strategy or sense of priority. Notice that Jesus has gone into the vicinity of Tyre, but at the beginning of uh, this section we've seen that Jesus wanted to keep his presence a secret. Didn't want people to know. He wasn't there on a massive missionary journey. It's like the cycle's gone round. He's faced another showdown with the Pharisees and he wants to get away with his disciples. He wants to train them. He wants to get time with God. He, he wants to kind of push away other things that might distract. He wants to prepare his disciples for the day in which the bread is going to all the nations. So they have to get it. They have to understand. We've seen again and again Jesus saying to his disciples, you're so dull. Don't you get it yet? And he's investing in them so that when the day comes and the church explodes and goes to all nations, they're equipped They're ready and they can see in the purposes of God, this is what he's always had planned. So Jesus is getting away and Jesus is focusing on his disciples. Maybe even, he is going on a bit of a journey, he's going to go up into Tyre, he's going to come round, we'll see next time that he kind of sweeps back down into the, the area called Decapolis. It's all Gentile land, it's going to take quite a while to do that journey and he's just wanting to focus on his disciples. A time of refreshing uh, perhaps it's just interesting that God has spoken to us recently about a time of refreshing and maybe that's because God wants to open our eyes to his gospel afresh open our eyes to places that we might have thought well it's got nothing to do with us maybe he's wanting to open our eyes to people we think well we don't have anything for them uh, all we can say is, you're wrong and you've got to change. And then come back. Maybe God is wanting to encourage us in cultivating not only the joy that we looked at at the outset, 
but the love that Jesus does in fact demonstrate to this woman and the faith that she shows too. Because that old way of religion and tradition says, you're not that bad, but you'll never change. Don't expect anything to happen. So maybe don't pray. What we're seeing here is demonstration again of what is life like with Jesus? What is Jesus modeling? What is Jesus showing us about his way? It's completely different. And her humble persistence means she gets the crumbs. If you like, the focus is on the dialogue, the exchange, the conversation between Jesus and this woman. But, verse 29, then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. I wonder what the problem was. We don't know a massive amount about it. But hey, look, if she found her child lying on the bed, that was the indication the demon had gone. Maybe the problem was before. It was just perpetual restlessness, agitation, on edge. And there's a clear change. Jesus doesn't have to even be in the same room as that girl, but he has the authority to say, I've heard your prayer. It's done. This point here is a wonderful turning point in the gospel. Mark is recording it, I think, because it struck a real note with the disciples. Why did it strike a note? Because it shows that Jesus is reluctant and narrow. No, because it indicates God's doing a bigger thing. The good news is not for one group of people. It's for the whole world. This is the point at which the gospel goes global. Or here's, an, here's just that indication. That's where this is heading. And we're going to see Jesus doing other remarkable miracles amongst Gentile communities. Because he's demonstrating this is what it's about. This is where it's heading. This is who the good news is for. It's for us and it's for everyone. And so my prayer is that would be our experience. Uh, a summer of refreshing where we get interrupted with God's agenda. We get interrupted by what God wants to do. That irritating, slightly awkward, I don't know what to do moment becomes a God moment. I think, I think she's got faith. I think she's asking for mercy. And I think Jesus has a lot to give her. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand, let's worship, worship God together.